So we praise Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We send peace and blessings upon our beloved messenger Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, upon his blessed family, his companions, and those who follow them until the end of time. Uh, mashallah, welcome uh, everybody. Alhamdulillah. It's great to see everyone back um, and some new faces. So why don't we start by just some people introducing themselves so we can kind of warm up a little. Uh, and get to know one another. So how many people, this is like your first time? How many people? Oh, mashallah. So we don't want to put you on the spot, but if you want, please feel free to like introduce yourself, inshallah. <laughs> yes. Alhamdulillah, Seema. Dina, nice to have you, mashallah. Welcome, alhamdulillah. So Dina is here, alhamdulillah. Uh, first time, mashallah. Yes, sir. Alhamdulillah, so Brother Ahmed is here. He's from an organization called Grassroots Dawah. There's a lot of, um, you know, disruptive dawah, mashallah, in different ways. Wafaqahullah. Uh, nice to have you, man. Alhamdulillah. Welcome. You know, anyone else would like to? Yes, ma'am. Did you sign a waiver before you came in? <laughs> so, uh, Chantel is a student at the law school. Alhamdulillah. May Allah make it easy for you uh, over there. I've been there a few times. It's tough. And uh, it's great to have you. Alhamdulillah. Anyone else just like, just want to introduce themselves because they're happy? <laughs> yes, sir. Oh, okay. Alhamdulillah, man. Yeah, down in Jersey. Went to Jersey a few weeks ago. It was amazing. Mashallah. Cool community. Ibrahim, welcome. Alhamdulillah. Yes, sir. Alhamdulillah, Mustafa, I've met before. Alhamdulillah. Mashallah, man. Good to see you again. He's got a startup going. Make dua for him. You know, as he revs up the startup. That Allah will put barakah, inshallah. Anyone, anyone else? Okay, no, fine. <laughs> yes, please. Um, my name is Maryam, and um, I'm here from Jersey. Mashallah. A lot of people coming from Jersey. Alhamdulillah, mashallah. That's what's up. Yes, sir. Okay, alhamdulillah, Brooklyn. Brother Mujahid from Brooklyn. MashaAllah, that's awesome, man. Yes, sir. Queens. Alhamdulillah, man. Are you brothers from Turkey? Yeah, mashaAllah, bayam, bayam, tashakur, tashakur. I watch Ertaro, man, so. I got a little Turkish. Some of the old school Turkish, but you know, that's, that's, that's uh, like, this is a safe place where you can, you know, have those moments. Like we've all been there, right? Uh, anyone here speak more than one language? I'm sure most of us uh, probably do. You know, it's not easy. Just learning cities, streets, towns. Right? I found the most difficult thing in Arabic was just like talking. 
You know, I could talk to them like religious language and they're like, what? You know, they're like, who's this dude, man? Like, where's the camera, man? So, alhamdulillah, man. Uh, it's great to have you guys here, man, uh, from Queens and Brooklyn. MashaAllah, it's very rare to find two friends uh, from Queens and Brooklyn. Okay. You figure that out later, unless they're on Steinway. Um, any other folks like just want to introduce yourself, let people know who you are? Yes, ma'am. Um, so my name is Jasmine from Jersey. Alhamdulillah, Jasmine from Jersey. Jersey's taking over, man. It's like a new borough. It's been a while. Yeah, okay. I'm from Oklahoma. I don't know. Yes, sir. So Hanny also from Jersey. Is there anyone here from not from Jersey? Yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. <laughs> like, like the whole room is from Jersey, man. Why you gotta why you gotta go in like that? Like, you already took their sports teams, man. Okay. Please. I'm from Virginia. I'm going to school in Wow. So like you're gonna be on our team, you're gonna be Jersey. Okay, okay, cool. Alhamdulillah. But, well, it is certainly uh, a blessing um, to see all of you, alhamdulillah, and it's great to see uh, different demographics in the audience uh, and people who are here from different backgrounds, different age groups. Uh, that's really something that uh, the IC is one of our foundational ethos. Hold on a second, I gotta introduce this guy. Hey man, come here, man. Well, don't come here, but uh, this is Tahrim. He's from Boston, mashallah. Did I do your nikah? Did I do your, your nikah? I spoke at your wedding, yes. Um, but he's like a very dear friend, he and his wife. He went to St. John's, alhamdulillah, but he's from Brooklyn. Even though he's from Boston, we're gonna claim you as in being from Brooklyn. Uh, but a very good family friend, uh, he and his brother, mashallah, his parents. So they just moved here. Your wife's here too, where's your wife? Mashallah, you wanna let people know who you are? And, you know. and uh, they're, like ama they're like amazing people, man, alhamdulillah. So, it's like great to see you both, man. When he texts me, he's like, I moved to New York. I was like, MashaAllah, Qamaran. You know, there's like two, two moons now in the sky, alhamdulillah. So it's, it's, we welcome you, inshallah. And uh, anyone else? Some people ask if they can bring like non-Muslim coworkers, of course, man. Like, <laughs> like beat somebody up, like check them at the door. <laughs> Kufi checking folks um, before they come, as well as their friends or their neighbors. Like I know Imam Khalid, one of the things that he really believes in is fostering uh, an opportunity for people. Uh, and opportunities are very important. So inshallah, we'll pick up uh, where we stepped off. We've been going through um, just to kind of review some of the qualities of the awliya of Allah. Subhanahu wa ta'ala, those qualities of those people that are close to God. And we went through in the beginning, if you go on YouTube, it's a shameless plug. Um, you can find the first few videos there recorded. We talked about some of the presumptions that Muslims tend to have around this idea of being close to God. Like, for example, I'm not close to God. I can never be close to God. I can never have a relationship with Allah. Uh, so the first lecture we had unpacked like some of those assumptions and ironed them out a little bit. And then we started with the first quality, which, was, which is to establish the obligations, right? If I want to draw near to somebody, then I'll do what they love. And we mentioned the famous hadith of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam uh, where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is quoted by the Prophet as saying, and nobody comes closer to me with anything, ahabbu ilayya, which is more beloved to me, mimma than like what I've made obligatory. 
So obligatory here means physically obligatory as well as like emotional components, character, how I treat people, the five prayers, for example, fasting the month of Ramadan, respecting my parents, respecting my spouse. All those fall under like what are called fara'id. So we unpacked that and we talked about what that means. And then we started to talk about something that we, we notice people tend to miss out on a lot. And that is when they think about, uh, how come no one's asking me why I have purple glasses with a price tag on the side? Thank you. I'm glad you asked because I was so blind, I got the wrong glasses in the grocery store. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't see what glasses I got. It's kind of a, it's kind of like circular logic, isn't it? In a weird sort of way. But mashallah, I'm gonna, I'm a trendsetter. You know what I'm saying? You just wanna keep your tag like that. Alhamdulillah. Right. Um, so we noted that sometimes we tend to make this mistake that we uh, restrict the idea of religious knowledge just to like cognition or physical practice. Uh, we noticed in the Quran, Allah subhanahu wa certainly mentions that he taught the Prophet sallam, how to look at the world. That's very important. Uh, like we taught you what you didn't know. You did not know how like to read and write, Allah says to the Prophet sallam, you know, recite. So the Prophet is ordered to engage in like a deliberate act of cognition. Uh, so to Ibra uh, Prophet Ibrahim, uh, Allah says, Like we showed Ibrahim the secrets of the heavens and the earth so that he could achieve certainty. Right? So the idea of cognition is mentioned. So we tend to focus on that. We have classes and classes we talk about you know, increasing our understanding of religion, which is important. We learn religious obligations. We go to Sunday school. Those things happen. We have access to teachers, inshallah, online lectures, for example, and books. And then the second thing we talked about is we tend to think of knowledge in, in the realm of like perfecting our worship and becoming like a better devotee to Allah. And that's also mentioned in the Quran. Uh, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, says, like he talks about the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi he says the Prophet is a perfect devotee of Allah. Allah orders and commands Prophet Muhammad to worship until he dies. Uh, so those three, we tend to see programmatically a lot of things happening in our nonprofits, um, a lot of opportunities for courses. But the third component is sometimes lost in all of this. And that is that Allah subhanahu wa teaches the Prophet the importance of having a religious EQ, the capacity to love, and the ability to forgive. So we know that Sayyidina Muhammad وسلم, he says, Ana right? as related by Malik and Namwatta, I am a, a merciful prophet. Uh, the Prophet who said, you know, if you love someone, you should tell them you love them. So to be in the office of prophecy is also to be very mature with, with one's feelings, to be in one's feelings. I couldn't resist, right? But in a mature way. And the Prophet Allah says to him very early on in Mecca when these people are giving him a lot of problems, فَاسْفَعَنْهُمْ وَقُوْ salam. You know, just like turn away from them and just say salam. 
وَإِذَا خَاتَبَهُمُ الْجَاهِلُونَ قَالُوا سَلَامًا That doesn't mean that the Prophet is a pacifist because within the EQ is also the need, as we'll talk about perhaps later, to stand for justice. But the idea of redemption, a redemptive Prophet, people can find forgiveness. People have the opportunity to reform themselves. The Prophet ﷺ, in order to do that, has to have a very high religious capacity, emotional capacity. We don't talk about that a lot. So we may find, you know, religious people very mean. We may find religious people are like extremely intolerant of things which they should be tolerant of. Uh, we find that people may in fact even teach or engage with people. Or we may think of religious teachers and instructors as people who are somehow naturally very stern and tough. That's why Ar-Razi, he says something very powerful uh, in Sulta Kafirun, Qul ya ayyuhal kafirun. The word Qul is actually an order because it's not in the nature of the Prophet to say to someone, Ya Kafir, he's too nice. So Ya Bani Abdul Muttalib, Ya Bani Hashim, like he'll call them by their tribal names, he'll call them by their father's names, he will call them by respectable names. So it is though Ar-Razi said that the default of the Prophet is kindness. So Allah has to command him, say kafir to them. And Ar-Razi says this is a, a window into the psychology and the emotional maturity of the Prophet So do we have also opportunities to grow in our love? Do we have opportunities to grow in redemption? The, the most difficult person I ever had to forgive in my life was my brother. Because when I became Muslim, he became a professional, first round, guaranteed contract, Abu Jahl. Right? And you would think, easiest person to forgive is your brother or your family, right? I learned something. I said, if I can't forgive my brother, what kind of husband am I going to be? If I can't forgive my brother, when he was asking me to forgive him, what kind of father will I be? So we believe that character is important. It's systemic. And it doesn't mean you have to forgive people. Maybe there's people that's done a lot of things to you in your life. So don't, I'm not telling you what you have to do. Uh, it, it, it didn't happen overnight. My brother invited me to his wedding. I flew to Oklahoma and he uninvited me when I arrived because I was Muslim. So I said to my mother, that's it, I'm out. I'm done with this dude. Like Musa and Khadr, man. Like, I'm not going to tell you the ta'wil. And then after a few years, you know, it's your brother, man. Hit me up, needed something. That's how family is, right? And they said, you know, I'm sorry, man. I messed up. I said, I forgive you. Don't worry about it. I forgive you because of Islam. But that doesn't mean I've forgiven everybody in my life. Right? That's just one example. But he owned it and he, he sought redemption. So the Prophet ﷺ, we should also work on our EQ and how we engage people. And if we're going to step into roles of religious education, we need to be very sensitive to people. So the Prophet ﷺ, I mentioned it before, everybody thinks that he loves them the most. Nobody thinks he has like favorites because the Prophet ﷺ has a high emotional EQ. And that's something that I believe students of knowledge and imams and content providers and teachers need to go through, not only personal counseling, but also how to like 
how to be good people, man. How to step away if you feel you're burning out. How to pull back. So the third component is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala teaches him character. Emotional intelligence. Allah says that the Prophet with the believers accepts excuses and forgives men. Rahim. Pardons. Pardons happen when someone does something wrong. And then when he engages them and he teaches them, he's merciful to them. Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So that took us now into the idea of love. And, you know, people who are loved are happy and people who give love are happy. That's just kind of how it works. And we said that the word love is from the word a seed, man, so it grows. Love just doesn't happen. Love isn't an event. It's not a trip to Chick-fil-A, you know. It's not a, you know, Fortnite. It's not, you know, True Detective 3, the best series ever. Right? It's a process. And there'll be seasons. Sometimes it will be nice. Sometimes it'll, the weather will be, you know, fitting for love. Sometimes it won't be. We have a lot to offer the world, man, if we dig into what we have to offer. So, love is a seed that you plant. And then it has to be looked after. You can't give it too much water. Don't let your insecurities... <coughs> you know, rain too much on that love, but it also can't be neglected. So the root word of love in Arabic is from the same word as a seed. That's the point I'm making. And then we talked about the love of Allah. A year ago in this gathering, I asked people, how many of you feel loved by Allah? And only one person raised their hand, man. That's tough. But that's real. Like, I appreciated it, you know, but that's real. So tonight what we're going to talk about is when the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam said to his companions, there are a group of people who the martyrs and the prophets will envy. Yawm al-Qiyamah. Laysa baynahum. He said there's no relationship between them. There's no family relationship. There's no monetary relationship. There's no agency in this relationship. Manhum ya Rasulullah wa ma'amaluhum. And the Sahaba, they said, Who are they? Like, what did they do? The Prophet said, The lovers. SubhanAllah. He said, People who love for the sake of Allah, subhanahu wa ta'ala. So, we're going to try to unpack some of this a little bit tonight, inshallah, and we'll continue. Uh, this Thursday, we have a special program, Beyond Bilal. We already have like 250 people signed up, so we won't have our halaqa, but make sure to come through. It's supposed to be like really, really, mashallah, mashallah, times 10. So we consider Allah's love as an extension of His mercy. So let's listen to some like hadith about Allah's rahmah. The Prophet said, Ja'ad Allahu rahmata mi'ata juz'in. The Prophet said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has made mercy into a hundred parts and that he kept 99 of them with himself and he distributed one of those aspects of mercy 
to the earth. And that's why people find like mercy amongst themselves. Uh, there was a scholar, Yahya uh, Mu'adh al-Razi, was one of the early scholars who was known for his saintly personality. He said, he used to say in his dua, Oh my, oh my God, oh my Lord, you have, based on this hadith, you have distributed one part of mercy. Like you honored and blessed us with that, that mercy. That's my faith, Islam. And if you were to actually exercise the other, all of these hundred parts of mercy, like then how could we ever not have hope in you? Like if I see like this is just one component of the rahmah, what about if all of them are manifest to us? So he like calibrates it into a sense of hope. Um, in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. It's important before we talk about something tonight, the mystery of love. Love is a mystery, man. I ask my wife that every day. Why you love me? Still ain't got an answer. But, nah, that's, that's my homie, you know what I mean? But I'm saying there, there, there tends to be this idea because we live in a world which is very, very confusing. We live in a world where Starbucks benefits because prisons are publicly traded. 1983, the first prison in America was publicly put on the market. In 1986, people started to trade shares in it. Avis Rent-A-Car, Target, Starbucks, all invested in the prison industrial complex. We never know that. Like, it's very easy to be twisted in this world. It's tough, man. It's hard. And sometimes the, the idea of love has been so commodified. I mean, we came out of, out of uh, Valentine's Day, right? Love has been commodified and kind of turned into very shallow meaning. It's not planted anymore. It's processed love. We need some of that Whole Foods love, you know, some Aldi's love. When we talk about the love of Allah, it's very important that we realize it doesn't come on our terms. And that's hard to deal with. Because most of the time within physical, the physical world, you know, I want to be loved how I want to be loved. And I try to give love how someone around me may want that love without sacrificing myself. That makes sense. But the greatest manifestation of Allah's love is to put someone on Salat al-Mustaqeem. That's tough. That's why there's famous supplication of the Prophet. I mentioned it before. Where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says more or less, look at this worshiper of mine. She keeps asking me for this, but I know if I give it to her, it will corrupt her. So because I love her, I kept it from her. That's tough. That's why scholars say you can't study the names of Allah like Allah is the giver without studying what? 
He's al-mu'ti and he's al-mani'. The one who gives and the one who what? Withholds. One of my teachers used to say, the scariest subject is the names of Allah. Because it forces me to like balance myself. Balance is hard. But the greatest manifestation of Allah's love theologically is when a person is guided to understanding that they have no power except with Allah. وَمَا تَوْفِيقِي إِلَّا بِاللَّهِ That's tough. And that doesn't come necessarily, you know, in the way we want it. Maybe it does come through like happiness and joy and something like mashallah times 10. Maybe there's other ways. The idea of, you know, disruptive hidayah. We have the theory of disruptive education. People vlogging, man, talking about the Smithsonian and like vlogging in the streets. Disruptive education. Hidayah oftentimes is disruptive. That's why the great Urdu poet, he said, if you doubt Allah's plan for you, look at Musa. He went to get fire, he came back a prophet. So we're going to unpack a little this kind of understanding of mercy and the value of la ilaha illallah and how sometimes through our life Allah's love manifests itself in disruptive moments as well as you know the salt bath moment you know the salt bath moment like yeah first a very beautiful hadith because when we talk about la ilaha illallah we're talking about purpose. La ilaha illallah is synonymous with life. It's the secret to everything that exists. Nothing happens without Allah. Allah. You would have no will. I would have no will if it wasn't for God. Let's not get into the, but what? Let's, let's leave tough theological questions for Friday night, inshallah, for our study on trauma and pain. So we believe that we're compelled to try and make efforts. But nothing happens without Allah. That's the secret to everything. Some scholars call it Sir al-A'zam. You know, like the great secret. What they mean by secret is something that most people won't really recognize. Most people won't see. That balances everything. The hadith of the Prophet, this is just one, it's like really beautiful. He said that a person on the day of judgment will be brought in front of God and that person's deeds will be presented in front of him. And he said, Tis'a wa tis'una sijillan, like 99 like books, like huge books of this person's deeds. This is a metaphor, of course. And he said, every one of these books like will, will, will last to the horizon. This hadith is sahih from Al-Hakim. No matter how far he looks, he'll see the pages of this text that has his record of good and bad deeds. The Prophet said in it will be his sins, like his mistakes. And then they will be put on one scale. 
and then a small piece of paper will be put on another scale. And this person is going to be like freaking out, man, like terrified because he saw his evil. And then like it will be weighed and that small piece of paper will be heavier. And then he will be entered into a state of bliss and grace. And then Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will say to him, did you want to know what's on that small piece of paper? He said, yes. We'll open up, it will say, La ilaha illallah. Muhammad Rasulullah. The Prophet said, Aftaru ma qutwa ana wa nabiyuna min qabri la ilaha illallah. The Prophet said, the best thing I and any of the Prophets before me ever said was La ilaha illallah. So the purpose is to get into that, that place of ubudiyya, what's called the maqam of ihsan, to worship Allah as though you see Him. And that's not something hard, like when a mother feels mercy to her child who has colic, for example. So that mercy compels her to like sacrifice or the father to sacrifice. That's a form of ihsan. The muhsin is the person who acts on reciprocating what they feel, their understanding of God's grace in their life. They reciprocate that to people. So like we have one sister here, she's, I haven't seen her in a while. She like goes to Rikers and teaches people. Like she's compelled by the blessings of Allah in her life to, to do something. So it's not just about like spooky stuff, you know? Like we like to go spooky because spooky is like a great red herring. Because most of us can't go spooky. But mashallah, all of us can be nice to people. All of us can show like ihsan to people. So that's why some of the scholars used to say that the most important knowledge that the early Muslims, the companions and their students would focus on, what do you think it was? We think like the most important thing to them was? Character. Character? Okay, good. MashaAllah. Tawheed. Tawheed is khalas. Everything is Tawheed for them. Good. But turn that into a policy. I get the theory, Tawheed, Alhamdulillah. How do they understand Tawheed? Iman. Iman, trusting. Excellent. They would want to live up to Ihsan. Exactly. So, that's good. So, Imam al-Maqdis, he said, Ilmu mu'amala. Like what, what they were busy with was the knowledge of how to act on Tawheed understand, be able to somehow, you know, understand Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as best they could through the Prophet and through Quran, alhamdulillah. But then like calibrate that, translate that into actions. You know, when I came back years ago to, to America, someone asked me to, like a question. They wrote me this long email and they asked me at the end of the email, like, what's the best translation of the Quran? I wrote back one word, you. Like, where can I buy that? No, man, you, like you, you be a translation of Quran. Uh, after 7-7 in England, 
had a friend, mashallah, he lived in East London, it's an awesome place, alhamdulillah. And uh, he had a non-Muslim neighbor who after the, the bombing, the, bo the bus bombing, he asked him for a translation of the Qur'an. So mashallah, he gave this guy a translation of the Qur'an. And this guy, he did it in two weeks, and my friend, he's Daisy, so they did like the Qur'an party for him, even though he's non-Muslim. He had like the Shavani and stuff on, and they like, you know, started Ru Afsa and like, Gulab Jaman, like, this is awesome, man. Like, they did the Quran. I was like, you didn't do a Quran party for me, man. Kir. So, these are awesome sweets. So, at the Quran party, he said to my friend, I, I got a question about all this. Like, I'm glad that we had the party. But I have a question. And he's like, what? He's like, where's the second book? Where's part two? He said, what? He said, yeah, like, where's part two of the book that you gave me? They lived in a Muslim neighborhood. He said, we don't have a book two. He said, no, because the people in this neighborhood, they don't live, they don't, they don't live on this book. They're reading a different book. So he said, like, at that moment, I realized, like, the power, the actions of the Muslim community have in people's lives. So... We're going to talk about the purpose as an extension of Allah's love because if the world was created for worship, if the world's great secret is la ilaha illallah, then the greatest awakening that someone can have is the ma'rifah of la ilaha illallah. And that's why the Sufis, for those of you, mashallah, in social justice and stuff, the first maqam in classical tasawwuf, the first station that Imam al-Harari wrote about in the 5th century is being woke. Al-Yaqadha. I was really sad when I saw like Angela Rye and all these awesome people talking about being woke. And I was like, man, when's a Muslim going to talk about being woke? Then I said, what about you, dummy? You know about it, right? So I did this podcast on it. But the first manazil, manazil, as-salikin, the first station is awakening. And that awakening is considered the greatest, one of the greatest manifestations of Allah's love for a person. And that empowers us to do one thing, to calibrate our guilt as a sign of Allah's love. Oftentimes we just feel guilty and then it, it becomes counterproductive. But we quoted Al-Ghazali many times. He said, guilt is good as long as it leads to hope. Right? True guilt should lead to that moment of needing. Not like retirement. So we'll talk about different ways that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala out of his love intervenes in the lives of people to get them woke. Al-Muyaqid. First is by speaking to someone directly. Of course, this can only happen to the prophets and only happens to special type of prophets. So Allah uh, subhanahu wa ta'ala says in uh, Surah Nisa, fourth chapter, verse 164, Allah spoke to Musa. 
The second is revelation. So in the same chapter, verse 163, of course, this, the first three are only for prophets. So, inna awhayna ilayk. Indeed, we have revealed to you and to those prophets before you. Sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. So it's pretty dope, right? If, if the purpose of revelation is to achieve this wokeness, when you and I are holding the Qur'an in front of our eyes and we're reading it, and we're understanding now that the Qur'an can be at times a spiritual agitator. At times it can be a spiritual personal trainer. Give me one more mountain climber. Right? Like you could do it. So we frame our relationship with Qur'an. And we have, in, this year in Ramadan, we have a really awesome program on Tadabur Qur'an. Like how to ponder on the Qur'an in English. But as I'm engaging the Qur'an, I'm thinking about it as a social, political, economic, spiritual instigator, but also motivator. The third is through angels. You think about what happened to Sayyidina Muhammad sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. Iqra, 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 ma ana biqari. I can't read. So the first three as a framework, feel free to differ, like don't worry. I would advise not though, but like, feel free to. But like scholars would say, of course, this is the realm of like prophethood. Right? The fifth, fourth. Uh, the fourth, sorry, inspiration. A person's heart is inspired. And this can happen to anybody. So know that the Prophet وسلم, he said, you know, إِنَّهُ كَانَ فِي قَبْرَكُمْ مُحَدَّثُونَ There are people that came in previous nations before you who spoke the truth, like their heart spoke the truth. They were inspired to speak the truth. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala inspired their soul. He says, فَإِنْ يَكُونْ فِي هَذِي الْأُمَّةِ فَعُمْرُ بْنُ And an example of this in the community of the Prophet is Sayyidina. The Prophet said like Sayyidina Omar. Who sometimes would say things and later on the Qur'an would agree with it. There's a rule for this because we want to protect people from spiritual abuse, man. You know, someone tells you, first of all, no one should ever say, أَنَا مُحَدِّثِيَنِي أَنَا مُحَدِّثِ Like I'm somebody that God has given it to. Now obey me. What? Right. So most scholars say like the only time we could consider this as being relevant or real is if what someone is being inspired to say agrees with the sacred and agrees with the common sense of the community. So if I came tomorrow I was like, yeah, I had this inspiration that, you know, should all buy me Bitcoin mines. So it's kind of a problem. But if I was like, you know, we should all start fasting like twice a week. Okay, sunnah. The third is cognition. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So like a fourth an example would be maybe someone is like uh, lost, man. They're out there. But somewhere in their heart it's like, yo, man, you need to pray. You need to give back to Allah. What the Prophet called Lammatul Malik also, there's a narration that says there's an angel that's job is to inspire you. 
It's a sound hadith. Yes. How is inspiration and cognition different? We didn't explain cognition yet. Oh, I thought cognition was what you were No, still inspiration. Yeah, inspiration. So we haven't, no, we haven't got to cognition. I went back. <laughs> Be inspired. I was inspired to go back. So under inspiration, there's a hadith of the Prophet I'm sorry, thank you for stopping me. There's a, a narration of the Prophet sound hadith that talks about Sirat al-Mustaqim and how at the end of Sirat al-Mustaqim, there's someone calling you. He said, this is Lamatul Malik, meaning an angel. His job is to inspire you at times to do good, to encourage you. We talked about angels before last year, like nobody can with any degree of certainty say they met an angel, although angels are shapeshifters. So maybe you're at Whole Foods and you're shopping for like, I don't know, half your checkbook for an avocado. And like someone comes to you and they're like, you know, you should pray Fajr. And they walk away. Yeah, five, five avocados, pray Fajr. Then you go home, you're like, I met an angel. No, you don't know, but maybe, maybe not, right? But the point is, like any khair we consider from Allah without affirming it, without affirming it. The next is cognition and understanding. And that means why you're engaged in reading the Quran or you're studying sacred text or you're praying and you have a higher level of understanding. So my teacher from Senegal, one time he was teaching us the explanation of Surah Al-Fatiha and he said to me, SubhanAllah, every time, he was at that time almost 50, he said every time, you know, since I reached an age where I could understand, whenever I deeply studied Fatiha, I've always uncovered something I didn't uncover before. An example of this is Abu Bakr, when the Prophet said, there is a servant of Allah, Allah has given that person the choice between the next life and this life. And that person chose what's with God. And then Abu Bakr starts weeping. And the Sahaba, they're like, what's wrong with him? Why is he weeping? Because Abu Bakr understood the Prophet was going to what? He's going to die. So his level of understanding is different than everyone in the room. So the level of cognition that someone may experience, and that's why I tell people whenever you read the Quran, it's like an adventure, man. It's an opportunity. It's a chance. It's, it's, it's a place where you can, in any language, by the way, right? Where someone has an opportunity to discover something. But like, what if I discover something that's going to change the ummah? Hashtag, you're not that important. Like, just relax, man. Like, 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 we're not, none of us are that important, right? That's why we can go ask people like Imam Khalid, Sheikh Fayaz, Sister Amira, Aziza, Hannah. You know, we have people here that we can ask. That's why I said before, the Imam's job is tech support. So, hey, Imam, like last night I was reading the Quran, and it's scary when you find people say, I went to a religious leader, I told him I was reading the Quran, they're like, Wayhak. Like, why were you reading Quran? Like, what are you supposed to read, man? Like, what's wrong with that? The majority of the Sahaba, they weren't scholars. They had profound understanding, but not to the level of scholarship. There were only 30 muftis amongst the Sahaba out of 100,000.
So that moment of being able to have clarity and understanding is an opportunity for, alhamdulillah, uh, divine intervention. Then there's also what's called general guidance. And what that means is like the life around us becomes the canvas by which we see the signs of Allah outside of the text. So over and over, people delve and think about the creation of the heavens and the earth. Allah, you didn't create this for nothing. So general guidance meaning kharij and nas, outside of the sacred text. In that regard, if we look at the Qur'an and we look at cognition in the Qur'an, we find something very interesting. We find there are times when people will use, like the, the, the Quraysh will use nature as a means to prove God doesn't exist. But then we'll find the believers, the prophets, will use nature to show that God does exist. There are places in the Qur'an where Allah says the Qur'an is a guide. إِنَّ هَذَا الْقُرْآنِ يَهْدِي The Qur'an is a guide. وَلَا يَزِيرُ الظَّالِمِينَ إِلَّا But for some people it's not going to be guidance. It's the same book. In fact, we find something really interesting. If you go to Sultan Mudathir, Sultan Mudathir is a very important chapter. It's very, small, it's very short, but Sultan Mudathir is really about being a spiritual agitator. Ya ayyuhal muddathir, qum fa'anzir, warabbaka fa'kabbir, uthiyabaka fa'tahir. Oh, Prophet who's covered, you know, stand and warn and magnify your Lord and purify your heart. Most scholars said, thiyab means qalb. It's like purify your heart. So it's about being a warner. But then later on in the chapter, we find the story of Al-Walid ibn Maghira, who comes to the Prophet is taught, he hears a large portion of Qur'an, and then basically from verses 16 to verses 25, his process of cognition is described in detail. Allah says, كَلَّا إِنَّهُ كَانَ لِآيَاتِنَا عَنِيدًا He said he's very stubborn. Talking about Al-Walid. So, so he will like eventually be in hell. Then he goes through his process of cognition. He thought and he measured. Means intellectually, like what was engaging him. And like, it's hard to translate this, but he was like, man, the worst, he thought the worst. Like to the point where he, he's dead. Then he stopped and he thought even more. And he goes through his process. In هذا إلا قوله His, 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 you know, his assessment. Man, it's just a statement of some guy who's hit with magic. So he sees the Prophet, he engages the Prophet, but his cognition is different. In the same chapter, a few verses later also, 
Allah mentions the number of the angels in hell as being 19. Then he says, you know, like, you know, this is for those people who came before you from the prophets and yourself and your followers. This will increase their iman, their understanding of these angels. But then there's other people, who they're going to read that and say, ah, this is just nonsense. So there's the Quran and there's understanding and engagement and cognition. So we gave two examples, right? We talked about in the text, there's the text. Some people are guided by it, some people aren't. We talked about nature outside of the text, some people are guided by it, some people aren't. The next is deep, man. And that is that a person is able to see beyond the physical. What does that mean? I knew he was going to get spooky. Nah. Allahu alam al And sometimes the opposite, their physical faculties won't work. That man isn't blind in his heart, he's blind in his eyes. But the aristocracy of Mecca are blind in their heart, but they can see with what? Ah. So there's something deeper there. In that chapter, there's a message about the material versus the immaterial versus the divine power that reminds us, La ilaha illallah. In the end of the seventh chapter, Allah says, Allah says to the Prophet, you see the people of Mecca, they're staring at you, but they don't see you. Doesn't mean that they physically don't see you. It means that they don't recognize the purpose. Who you are, what you're supposed to be. That's why when Omar becomes Muslim, Allah says we resuscitated him. He was already alive. He was dead and we resuscitated him in front of you. Ibn Qayyim said, Omar wasn't physically dead, but his faculties were dead. So Allah brought him to life where he saw the purpose. And that's why Allah says, So people will see beyond the material, the purpose. That's why when they ask Sayyidina Ali alayhi salam, he said to them, you know, if I saw the heavens crack open, my iman is not going to increase. If I saw the arsh, my iman is not going to increase. He wasn't saying that to like boast, man. He was saying that was called mushahadat al-awliya, mushahadat al-qulub. Meaning that my heart saw this, not my eyes. Unfortunately, because of the petrodollars that have been spilled into our community, we have to understand something, that there's an effort to secularize us in the name of religiosity. So when you take away the art, when you take away the experience, when you take away the beauty, when you take away the mercy, when you take away the pastoral care, when you take away the fact that Muslims aren't a monolith, when you take away the diversity, what do you have left? Brutality. A shall to be said, 
the worst thing that a mufti can do, when I was training to be a mufti, we studied this. The worst thing that a mufti can do is be so harsh on the Muslims that he leads them to disbelief. And to be so soft that he leaves them with no deen. So he said, فَيُحَمِّلُهُمْ So the job is to carry people like a physician. If you over-medicate, what happens to the liver? You have a problem. But if you under-medicate, there'll be sickness. So he's saying the job of the da'iyah, the job of the teacher and the activist and the faith worker is to be a physician. In order to be a physician, you have to what? You have to have an examination. You have to know people. So there's an effort within the Muslim world in the name of hyper-religiosity. And this is a trick of shaitan to take away any of the warmth. Uh, I told you the story. The first time I was training, my first day at work, uh, answering questions, and uh, this girl came and she's dressed like a religious person, you know, in Egypt, she had on the style. Allah forgive me for being, you know, someone who allowed my gaze to dictate who someone is. And she said to me, and I have a friend, and she like basically met out with a dude. And I was like, Ada, anti buti. What'd you just say? So la la sadiqati, anti mush sadiqatuk. So I started going in, cause I'm like young super shek. <laughs> young super shek is a problem. God forgive me for the damage I did in that stage. And then she was like, I'm not I understand this guy. There was a mufti, he's an old man. He was like, stop. God bless him. Then he said to me, this your first day here? You know, when someone says that, you know, it's like, <laughs> it's like, you never want to hear that in a marriage. You know what I mean? It's like, it's first day on the job. I said, yeah. He said, yeah, that's how I got that for him, Tim. He said, yeah, that's what I thought. He said, all you, you first dayers, man, y'all come and do more damage than good, man. Get out the way, man. Sat down with her, then he asked her the first question, are you part of a sexually trafficked ring? Yo, look where he took it. And my righteous indignation, Dr. West, I'm ready to try this woman, find her guilty, and cast her out of the community and feel good about it. His thing is like, let me open up these doors, man, to get you out of this problem. Without having to know. So he said to her, how are you being sexually trafficked? And she's like, no. And he's like, are you, are you forced into prostitution? She's like, no. Have you been sexually abused? No. She's like, I did it. And she started crying, man. And then she said, like, what am I? She was very young. She said, what am I going to do? He said, you're going to go to Allah. Satajidini rahima. And he said to her, do you need me to get you an appointment? at the hospital for any type of medical examination. Like that's a sheikh, that's LeBron. You know what I mean? That's like jumping from the free throw line. That's like Mozart. That's genius, that's, that's art, that's Picasso, that's Pete Rock, that's Lupe, right? That's not just, hey, Kalemda. That's like, I'm gonna try to help you. Then after she left, he said to me, he said, I need to talk to you. So I was like, all right, this is my first day at work, man. <laughs> and he was like, you know, 
the books that you've read, the blood in those veins is blue and cold. But these books, the blood is warm and red. You have to be different with them. Right? I learned a lot, like, from that moment, man. And I know how religious people, no, we, we can't just let people. Yeah, but then you may break people and never come back. It's the point of the sheikh. You got to weigh when a guy urinates in the prophet's mosque. The prophet understands, I got to weigh who this person is. But we've been inspired by a hyper, we have a problem with a tasawwuf, which is like spiritually abusive. And then we have on the other end, a hyper literalism that takes any of the emotion out of religion. So it's just harsh and tough. There's a time to be tough, of course, but like people need help, man. People are suffering. Modernity is a monster. And in the name of reacting to modernity, hyperliteralism has really led a lot of religious people away from the deen and good people where they don't even feel they're religious, where they might be the best lover of Allah. So the ability to see beyond the material. The Prophet said, An authentic hadith, he said, Be careful of the inside of the believer. They see with the light of God. And Allah's light has cast itself on the jahl and showed them the haqiqah. Of course, that has to agree with, you know, Religious principles, we're not like on a wild goose chase, like sitting on a mountain in Santa Cruz and lighting blunts and saying, you know, the light has been shown to me. Of course not. Going to Coachella like on 40 days, Jamaat. Nah, you ain't going to Coachella on 40 days, Jamaat, bro. But the idea is to see beyond just the material. The worst kind of dawah is the dawah which someone uses to self-serve themselves. To feel that they're better than other people. The next is blessings. Imam Malik was asked, what's the greatest blessing? He said, to do good. Like Allah has blessed you to maintain goodness. And as he used to say, the sign of an accepted hajj is that you don't go back to the sin that you did before the hajj. So the khair comes, the good comes, and it continues to come. And it's easy. It's not hard. It's not difficult. I remember when I converted, there was his brother, mashallah, he was Buddhist, he converted. He lived in Tulsa, Oklahoma. He's a really cool guy, man. And it was our first Ramadan together, and I was in Tulsa, and he prayed the whole night. So I started thinking, man, this is like, what kind of convert is this, man? He converted like a month ago, homeboy's praying all night, like he knows all that Quran. Because he would just pray, like he'd just drop in rakats. So I was like, man, I'm like, horrible convert, dude. I like, pray for 10 seconds. It's like, wala sir, Allah Akbar. You know, how you start, Hamim, Allah Akbar, because you can't say it, you can't say it, right? So then like I went to him and I was like, man, like, man, how'd you learn so much Quran in like such a short time? He's like, nah, dude, I just love Surah Al-Ikhlas, dude. <laughs> I was like, the whole night you just praying the Kulu Al-Ad? Kulu Al-Ad? He's like, yeah, Kulu Al-Ad. You couldn't even say it right. But like a lover doesn't feel pain, man. You know, a lover doesn't mind changing diapers at night. A lover doesn't mind, you know, staying up late waiting on people to come home. You know, like love inspires. So seeing that blessing.
The next, so Allah will bless someone as a means to wake them up. We'll talk about this uh, inshallah on Friday. The next is test and trauma. Now we can frame our life when we understand the deep secret of life is La ilaha illallah. And the greatest qast is tawheed and ubudiyah to Allah. Maybe perhaps test and trauma are means to get me back on track, man. People always say, do you think this happened to me because I'm a bad person? I'm like, nah, I think this happened to you because Allah wants you to come back to him. Like, but I'm so bad. I say, yeah, but where's the first place you want to run when this happened to Allah? It's hard though. Like, I'm not saying, like, I wish I could just be the one that gets blessings. I mean, for real. But sometimes we need to be made weak in order to appreciate strength. And sometimes we need to feel pain to appreciate bliss. Just how we are as people. Yes. We get better at the attainment of strength. So when Allah says, be tough because the na'mah, the blessing, doesn't, is not eternal. It's, it's only a glimpse of a moment. How do you possess that or learn to possess a level of toughness over time? I have no idea. I'm still trying to answer that question. That's a life question. Everybody hear what he said, like, how do you learn to, like, translate sometimes all those things? The, the simplest way is that the Prophet said, trust Allah, like, have a good suspicion. All who wonder aren't lost. Right? Maybe. And, like, there's some teachers, don't anyone get, take this the wrong way. But, like, when they became older, they're like, Alhamdulillah, that I fell into this one sin when I was younger. Because I learned compassion because later on I ran into those sinners. Like if I hadn't experienced it, I wouldn't be able to treat or engage. So it was like there was great mercy. Ibn Qayyim said, how many good deeds led people to hell? How many bad deeds led people to heaven? Sometimes like good, people get full of themselves. So every once in a while, they used to say, Rahmatullah lil wali. Like one of the blessings of God to a great person is like, sometimes they slip. Not like... Bernie Madoff stuff, you know what I'm saying? But like they slip, right? They make mistakes. They may make major mistakes. To remind them that your religion doesn't rest in your hands. Your iman doesn't rest in your hands. Don't get that twisted. And, and we'll talk about trauma on Friday. We continue, we'll continue Al-Munfarijah. What are some things we can do, inshallah, we'll finish. Everybody's okay? May Allah make us lovers, inshallah and loved. What are some of the things that are signs that Allah's love is like engaging our life? What are some things we can know? So divine intervention comes through tests, through trials, through success. We talked about other things that may happen that are means to like push us to actualize the purpose, to worship Allah as though you see Him. And they may be different levels of tests and trials depending on where a person is, right? But what are some signs? Number one is that a person feels drawn to obedience and caution. So they stay away from the doubtful as best they can. They care about worship, man. One time I saw this lady, she was talking to one of our teachers. She was like, you know, I feel like my relationship is so bad with Allah. I feel like everything's falling apart. Like, I feel like I have no relationship with Allah. I said, well, you certainly care about something you don't have a relationship with.
And then she said, oh, that's true. Right? Like, you care about it. You know? The fact that you are exhibiting that, that, that kind of emotional attachment obviously means it's important to you. Quran says Allah loves the people who obey him. Struggle to obey him. Muttaqi, right? the form is like a struggle to achieve it. Ifta'ala. Next is repentance. Allah loves people who turn to him. The Quran says, Inna Allah yuhibbu tawabin. Tawab is the one who always returns, not just once. Not ta'ibin, tawabin. An example of this, perhaps some of our sisters heard that you can't go to graveyards. That's some nonsense, man. People mention the hadith, muzawwarat. Aywa, muzawwarat, not za'irat. Muzawwar is the one who goes all the time. Like tawab, fa'al. So I'm always up in the grave to the point where like, I may be coating it out. But I didn't say za'irat. And the hadith that says women can't go to the graveyards is da'if anyways. But this authentic hadith in Bukhari, some people the same form as tawab, the one who always repents. Muzawwar, the shadda, because ziyarat al-ma'ani tufid ziyarat al-mabani tufid ziyarat al-ma'ani. The change in the word means it's more intense. So it's the one who always goes to the grave to the point where they neglect their life and other things. Not the one who goes for janazah or goes to say dua for their family and so on and so forth. Sayyidina Abu Bakr, he kissed his wife after she died. He washed her and kissed her. Now we tell people they can't even see their spouse after they die. In the name of sucking all the emotion from the religion, in the name of puritanical thought, we turn away people's natural inclination to God. One of my teachers, he told me the example of this. I used to love biryani, mashallah, before I got married, man. Because then it was like, yo, brother, you eating too much biryani. But who can eat too much biryani? <laughs> Nobody. Jackson Heights. But kebab king, baby. But the chapli kebab is fire. But the, the point is, my teacher used to tell me, like, you like biryani, right? He's like, what if I took biryani and I shoved it in your face? Would you like biryani? And I was like, absolutely not. He's like, well, then what about Dean? So, can I see my husband? He died. No, you guys are divorced now after he died. I've heard people tell women this. What? I didn't divorce my husband. He, he died yesterday. No, sister, I'm sorry. This is called a spiritual talaq. After death, you were mutallaqa. Man, that stuff would drive people out of the religion, man. You, tell, you grab young brothers and like give them, you know, you young brothers no good, blah, 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 talk. That's going to drive them out of the religion. You're going to push the biryani in their face. Whereas the deen, as a shatabi said, be a doctor, be a physician, treat people. And also we, we go after people that, you know, they, they want to practice their religion in a more passionate way. That's good. They're not bad people. Our community, that's one of the things that came out of the Obama experience, a good Muslim, bad Muslim. That was structurally created that was structurally created through CVE. So good Muslim, bad Muslim. Oh, sister got on niqab, she must be bad Muslim. In America, if you got a niqab, man, the ajr that you get, may Allah bless you. 
Well, what do you think about it? I'm not a woman. It's not my job to tell women how to dress. That's what I think about it. I'm try I barely can dress myself. <laughs> I wore some black shoes with a brown suit. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> you can ask me about that. I say love all the believers until they do you wrong. Welcome all the believers. What if they don't have each I don't care. I don't, I don't think about this stuff. These are grown people. Well, what about the brothers that have beards wearing a Michael Vick? Okay, Michael Vick, yeah, maybe that's a bad team. But still, the Eagles. But, like, I'm sorry. Yeah. Hey, to each his own. Well, you know, this brother walked in with some Beats headphones, I'm sure. Like, you know what I'm saying? He's listening to 21 Savage and blah, 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 blah. Like, I, maybe he's listening to 21 out of the boss. Dude, I don't know. Like, that's not in my realm. Why can't you just love people back to God? Why well, you got to hate them out of it? So, Tawab is the one who constantly repents. It's always coming back. So that means if they're always coming back, they're what? They're always making mistakes. Or they're always introspective. So they're humble. You learn a lot from that verse. The third is emulating the messenger of Allah, following the sunnah. Allah says, If you love Allah, follow me. Allah will love you. So, emulating the Prophet in character. The fourth, justice. In fact, it's more than justice. We have Arabs here. You can try to translate qist. Al-adl is justice. Qist is like a level above justice, man. Wa-aqasitu. Allah says, have qist, like hyper justice. Allah loves the people of justice. The next is to reciprocate the blessing of Allah to others. Allah says, Allah loves those who show the ihsan. I like to translate it that way. People say it's excellence. It means more than excellence. It means to see Allah in your life and translate that to others. Hada muhsin. The next, resilience. Resilience on what? On the cause, man. Resilience on the purpose. That's tough. It's hard. You guys go do some research. I mean, my, my khutbah, I think, is this Friday on prison industrial complex. So if corporations are making money off prisons, are they conditioning certain components of society to go to prison? Since it's profitable? What kind of country we live in, man? Where it's an investment opportunity to invest in a prison. So if I can make money off prisons, let me give them gangster rap. Let me magnify being a drug dealer and a murderer. Let me give them death metal, dude. The heck is death metal? If you like death metal, no offense, I'm sure you're not listening to it for that reason. But the social conditioning of a community to encourage three strikes, third felony, the majority of people in this country that are serving life sentences are doing so for nonviolent crime. Why are they there? Target got to have t-shirts. Like, look into this stuff, man. I'm not some far left out there, you know what I mean? 
I feel religiously compelled. I'm a moralist. I'm not a liberal or conservative. I'm a moralist. That's why I hope I could be. And I'm not perfect at it. But that kind of stuff, man, that's a problem. Like Rakim said, why they call it the projects? Because it's a project. What will happen to people? If I'm someone who is about resilience and I'm living in a world where that kind of stuff is being played out around me, I better have a relationship with Quran, man. I have to have a strong relationship with community because I can get played. Fake news. The first example of fake news is shaitan. Allah doesn't want you to eat from the tree because you'll live forever. That's fake news. Or you'll become an angel. Fake news. What's the opposite? Is to have a strong community, to be loved and valued emotionally, and to have a relationship with my faith as best I can. The next thing we'll finish, sorry we went a little longer, is trusting Allah. We'll talk about that in the future. The eighth is wholeness. So I see religion as a whole. So Allah loves those tawabin and He loves mutatahirin, those who are internally pure and physically pure. It's not just one or the other. Yeah, so Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says He loves people who make tawbah. That's an internal purity. But He also loves people who are physically pure. So if I'm like super saintly and my trash is all over my front yard and my house is a mess and I'm like super dirty, you know, and I'm like purposely filthy, I ain't got it right. You know what I mean? If I'm on time to pray, but I'm always late for work, there's something wrong there. Unless it's the R train. <laughs> or the L. The L is still open, man. The ninth is economic justice and purchase and price. Ooh. We could talk about that for a long time. That's real theology. I tell you guys, when I make dua, it's funny. You say, oh, Allah, bless this country. Bless it. I mean, I mean, I mean. Oh, Allah, don't make us a gentrifier. I, Nobody says, I mean. Oh, Allah, let us go zero waste. Uh, people don't say, I mean. But when you do like the typical, you know, bless us all, I mean. Right? Well, you start to pray for stuff that we really have to do. If we say, I mean, then it's like, ah. Working on that one. They give you an ah. Right? Let us refrain from injustice. I mean, right? Prophet used to make, You know, I seek refuge from being someone who harms or is harmed. It's both. Misguiding or being misguided. So we can talk about that one maybe in the future, but the Prophet said that Allah loves the person who is a business person, who is compassionate and honest and a person of fidelity. Yuhibbuhullah in the hadith. Prayer on time. Someone asked the Prophet, what's the most beloved deed to Allah? He said, as-salat ala waqtiha, to pray on time. Number 11, looking after the needs of others. Allah loves those who look after others. Number 12 is just slaying for the sake of Allah. That's how I translated it. Being successful and working hard. Being successful doesn't mean you know, like, I got everything, but just I'm trying, working hard, trying to, trying to grind it, trying to get it. That's a better way to translate it. The Prophet said that Allah loves the strong believer. 
Strength here means like who's trying to achieve. The th number 13 is to show righteous swagger, meaning to sh be proud of Allah's blessings. The Prophet said, Allah loves an'ama ala abdi ni'mah. When Allah blesses somebody, an yara athara ni'mati alayh. Like Allah loves to see the signs of His blessing on a person. That could be through worship, that could be through public service, that could be just like, yo, alhamdulillah, my life is so good right now, alhamdulillah. The 14th is to avoid excess in this world and the cult of opulence. Like, I honestly believe it's like commendable to buy used clothing, man. Like, for real. The situation is such, you know, the global economy, what's happening to the environment, environmental resilience is a form of tasawwuf. You know, unless you live in a Muslim country, you're getting your clothes made, mashallah. But when that man came to the Prophet and said, tell me something I can do, Allah will love me and the people will love me. And the Prophet said, be indifferent to opulence and Allah will love you. Be indifferent to what people have and people will love you. The next is to take the dispensation. When Allah makes it easy, take it. People don't like to do that. Yeah, man, I'm getting ready to walk across America. I'm going to fast the whole time, dude. Why would you do that? He was like, man, I'm going hard, bro. Right? The Prophet said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala loves that people take the rukhsa. People take when there's a legitimate need for dispensation, they take it. The last three, inshallah, we'll finish. Sorry, we went long today. Is to love others. The Prophet said that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala said, my love is an obligation for those who love. The 17th is to bring happiness to people. Allah, what a deen, man. SubhanAllah. All these hadith are authentic. Sometimes you quote these hadith, but like, is this authentic? No, man, be mean to people. Don't love people. What was 17? 17, to bring joy. The hadith says, the most beloved act to Allah, سُورٌ تُدْخِلُهُ عَلَىٰ أَخِيكَ الْمُسْلِمِ is the happiness that you bring to a fellow Muslim. Ya Allah! And this hadith has 14 asaneed, mashallah. It came to our mashaykh. Inshallah, we'll give you... When I do the 40 hadith, inshallah, we'll give you jazah. Maybe also we'll go to the Musa Salat and give you jazah. But ijazah is not what we study. But asaneed, ilah Sayyidina Muhammad. The last is consistency. And there's more than this, but like, we have time, man. Eh? And that is that Allah, a sign of Allah's love is that someone is consistent, someone is bringing happiness to people, someone is loving others, observing dispensation, avoiding opulence, extolling Allah's blessings in their life, and so on and so forth. But the hadith of Sayyidah Aisha, the Prophet said, was asked, what is the most beloved act to God? And he said, the most beloved act to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is the one which is most consistent. أقل, one of the narrations said, like, even if it's like a small thing. <coughs> so mashallah, I'm sure some of these things we mentioned, like some of them we're doing, some of them we're not doing. Most definitely we can't do them all, unless we're like super lucky. But mashallah, the ones that we're doing, we can try to improve. And over time, we can try to like build our repertoire. Uh, next week, inshallah, we'll continue. Are there any questions before we uh, pray salah?
Sorry that we went longer than normal today. Yes, sir. Jimmy and Noel met Erickson about love. Why do you feel like they've been like, they don't stand out as much in like, you know, scholarly tradition or like in talking about that? Or do you feel like they do stand out, but is it because of modernity or some other recent factor that has been... I mean, love is, love is something that's talked about a lot in the classical tradition. I mean, Imam Ibn, Ibn Hazm wrote a book, Love of Pigeons. He talks about these pigeons, but he means people. And he talks about like how they love each other. Anyone read that, that story about the guy that becomes a cockroach? No. And then he feels abandoned by his whole family. It's kind of the opposite. Now it's like love and pigeons. Yeah, it's French, a French writer. But like the idea of love is deep. Ibn Qayyim wrote a book about love. Al-Ghazali writes about love. Um, theologians. So I don't know, man. I think, I think we're in a tough time, right? And, you know, people are trying their best. And the community is, tends to be fractured. And there's a lot happening. And I think also the way we teach people, we don't teach them EQ first. We give people like a lot of religious knowledge. Sometimes they begin to argue and fight, divide, right? There's one, one lady, she reached out to me. She's from a, a country that was like, like kind of was going through China now. And she's like, you know, I want to come back to Allah. Where should I start? I was like, start with loving your mother and start with your heart. She's like, what about music? I was like, no, we're going to get to music, right? But let's start in this process of building the internals and then slowly get to that. We've kind of inverted. Yeah, we've kind of, exactly, right? We've inverted, like, I wish when I first became Muslim, alhamdulillah, I don't say if like that, but like for the sake of teaching, like, I was lucky, like my first teacher, like he loved me, man. You know, like, I wish that experience, you know, that's a very, he's a super awesome West African guy, man. Just, like, made good mint tea and hang out and, like, you know, taught us Quran. I think that, that there's a lot that we lost. And in America, you know, we don't have as many teachers. Imams don't have time. There's patriarchy. They don't spend time with people. There's spiritual abuse. All kind of crazy stuff happening, man, you know. So communities have to be deliberate. But it's out there. Yes, sir. How do you draw a line between loving somebody but then also removing yourself from them because they might be toxic to you or your life? Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not a relationship counselor, but personally, like with my brother, I gave the example earlier, right? God bless him. We're cool now. We're cool, bro. I see you. He's probably blowing up Facebook, trolling me. Um, um, I mean, I've always learned, I, I didn't learn this when I was younger. I learned this, my wife taught me this, um, that when people begin to hurt you, you need to pull back. Because that's not love anymore. You know what I mean? When people begin to break you down or ask you to change who you are in ways that aren't the authentic you or manipulate you or that's where it's kind of, even religious teachers, they don't have that right. That's why I'm like, I'm out. Or if it's going to harm people around me, it's hurting my life. That's not like, that's not balanced, right? That's not fair. Anyone else? What do you guys do? Like if you feel like, where do you draw the line? You could love someone to the point where they begin to hurt you or harm you. That's where I draw the line. Yes. What does that mean? How do you love someone from a distance? I mean, if interacting with them is going to be negatively affecting you, like you can still have that love for them, like still pray for them and all that, but like you just can't interact with them one-on-one -on -one if that's going to be Sometimes loving people by stepping back. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow, that's powerful. 
Yes. So frame the relationship on some foundations. Any other questions before we pray Isha and go home? It's great to see everybody. How's everybody feeling? How's everybody's week going so far? Anyone like really struggling, you need dua? Anyone need anything? Like, don't be shy. You can hit us up on the email here as well if you need something. Uh, make sure you take care of your soul. Make sure you're happy. New York's not a good place to be sad in, man. Because right? you tell yourself, I'm supposed to be happy. I'm in New York. Why am I so sad? And it like compounds the, uh, so we pray for those people, you know, who may be going through some things. We're here for you. If you need us, you can reach out to us also. Um, but we pray for you. May Allah ease your challenges. Yes, you had your hand up. Sorry. Yeah, so uh, when we talk about like, the signs, the first set of signs of how Allah awakens people, and then you mentioned like through angels. And you said that one is reserved for prophets. Then yeah. What about uh, Maryam? Yeah, I mean, I believe Maryam was a prophet. You open that can of worms for yourself. <laughs> um, there's a difference of opinion, of course, but I believe that Maryam and Dhul, uh, even uh, um, Khadr were prophets. Yeah, because awhayna ilayhi, like we revealed to her. And that's why Ibn Hazm has an essay on the fact that Maryam, people just differ on this, right? This is not like someone's going to hell or heaven, right? Yeah. But with my daughter, I prefer telling my daughter, yeah, Maryam was a prophet. And she's like, ooh, okay. I love Islam. <laughs> and that's a legitimate opinion. That's not like something I'm just making up, right? Yeah. Yeah. 